1: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions supply. What's up? new! Here comes a lightning bolt.
0: Parker fans are witnesses to history! This is the Lightning Round Podcast. With your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! This is the final installment of the Lightning Round podcast. Training camp previews for Jamie Hoyle, who's tweeting at lightning underscore round. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter, and today we're talking about the secondary, special teams. We'll get into the whole Melvin Gordon contract drama, but let's thank two dudes who donated this week.
1: Yeah, big thank you goes out to Corey Morris and Aaron Vrabel for their generous donations. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it.
0: Yep. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Aaron. And Aaron also had an inquiry about carrying the podcast on Google Play. And uh, we have been informed that the problem will be resolved shortly. Apparently, it was a network-wide issue. All the SB Nation podcasts had that issue. So it'll be fixed momentarily. In fact, it might even be fixed now. I'm not sure. But uh, for the meantime, we're up on Google Podcasts. If you use your Google platform to listen to us. So uh, go listen on Google podcast. It'll be up on Google play shortly. Thank you very much. And now before we get into the uh, training camp preview and the Gordon drama, uh, we got some questions on Twitter.
1: So the first question is from at chargers fan 1992 and he asks, are there any offensive linemen you guys would love to get through a trade for Melvin Gordon packaged with a 2020 second or third round pick?
0: I would scrap those picks. Um, I mentioned a trade on score more for Trent Williams. I mean, that's kind of far fetched. It essentially just meant, you know, the Redskins would get something for a uh, unhappy franchise left tackle, but, uh, and the Chargers have to do a lot of shifting. But um, I came up with something when we got this question and uh, wrote an article about it. How about the Chargers make a trade with the Detroit Lions, Melvin Gordon, for their right tackle, Ricky Wagner? Hmm. It's the perfect fit. You know, he was an Iron Man with the Ravens and the Lions. He's an immediate upgrade at right tackle for an above average lineman. And then when I looked into his contract, he's got an out in 2020. So basically, he's a one-year rental. Uh if you want to renegotiate his contract or pull the cord so you got some extra cash for the Bosa's and Henry's and Des Kings and Rivers later on, you can. And then of course there'd be an upgrade for the Lions over carrying on Johnson. They wouldn't have the contract. It would it would make room for Gordon's New Deal. It makes total sense. I love it. And then also they've got uh Tyrell Crosby behind Wagner and they really love him, so they could just slide him into right tackle, which they've thought about doing. Easy win-win for both teams.
1: I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I had another idea. It's uh, not quite as flashy as that one, but uh, I one of the names that came to mind for me was 49ers guard Josh Garnett, who is mm. 25 years old. He was first-round pick three years ago. Uh, he's only due just under $3 million in 2019. He's a guy who could provide some immediate competition at guard for Feeney and Schofield uh, if things work out, and he fits into the system. He could be a guy who forms a really nice tandem with Forrest Lamp at guard and maybe they replace both Feeney and Schofield. You know, I don't know if they're looking to replace both those guys. They did invest a third round pick in Feeney just a little while ago, but it seems like, you know, a, a low risk, potentially high reward scenario for a guy who was once thought of as a, you know, future Pro Bowl guard. Yeah. He's athletic. He's considered to be very intelligent. In those respects he kind of fits what the Chargers do. Uh, and if it doesn't work, he could be a really valuable depth along the interior. And then, you know, he you cut him at the end of the year or part ways with him at the end of the year, and you haven't really lost anything. I think in that scenario, uh, the Chargers would have to get a pick back, which is kind of the way I was looking at it mm-hmm. is, you know, it's hard to get equal value back for an offensive lineman if you're trading a Pro Bowl running back. So if you're thinking about getting like a Pro Bowl right tackle or something like that probably a long shot but in this case if you get a second or third round pick back and you get a guy like garnett who still has maybe some upside left in him there may be some value in that scenario
0: so you include in like a day two pick in there you think
1: yeah i'd probably i mean they've they've got him on the bench the 49ers do so you know i think their bargaining power is a little bit low so i think you're shooting for maybe a third or fourth round pick something like
0: that yeah yeah totally makes sense all right. Next question at one underscore zero five two one. What's the most annual money you guys would give Gordon?
1: So I have a feeling we're going to break this down a little bit later when we get into the Gordon talk. But, mm-hmm. you know, I've been thinking about it and I'm not comfortable giving a running back more than $10 million a year on average. Um, but I think if he wants to get paid in that realm, there are some things that he has to do for the Chargers in order to get that. Namely, he needs to play out that fifth year option in 2019. So I think there's some give and take to be had there with, you know, maybe guaranteeing uh his salaries for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one early on in the contract, maybe giving him some roster bonuses that are guaranteed early on in the contract to provide some new cash up front to kind of satisfy that need to get paid right away. And in return he plays out twenty nineteen at five point six million because he knows he just got you know, a big, a big lump of guaranteed money on the front end before his new deal has even started.
0: We had wrote an article about this for Boston the Blue, so you can go check that out in detail. But um, I like to keep it under double digits. I'd be more inclined to offer 9 million a year, but I could cap out at 10 million. You know, that's less than three or 4 million that he's asking. But at that price, he'd still be the fourth highest paid back. Um, in the contract, of course, I'd want a potential out in 2020 knowing his injury history, and I'd backload that deal. Maybe having him accept a fifth-year option is good, but he's not taking either of those deals, but uh, that's that's yeah. what I'm willing to offer for sure.
1: You said you want a potential out in 2020. To,
0: or 2021. Yeah, 2020 is next year, isn't it? 2021. In two years. In two years, I want a ripcord um, just because of the injury history, and then I'd just backload it.
1: Yeah, I think ideally you're looking for some kind of an out if the new, if the deal starts this year you're looking for an out in 2021. If the deal starts next year, you'd be looking for an out in 2022, right. but you, he, he'd be locked in for two years no matter what. And then it gets progressively easier to pull that ripcord, so to speak, and move on if he gets hurt or if you need to move on for any other reason. Exactly. Uh, the next question is from Nelson Moody, and he says, get your crystal balls out. How long does this Melvin Gordon drama drag on for before we get a result of playing paying him or trading him? Personally, I think we'll have an answer just after game one in the preseason.
0: Okay. Well, if this is his fifth year, I don't think a deal gets done. I don't see a a positive end of this deal with something getting done. I think it
1: might already be uglier than we realize. Um, This went from both sides saying, hey, we really want to get something done to Melvin threatening a holdout really, really fast. And we talked about this a little bit on the last show. We talked about how this might be the toughest deal to get done because of how Melvin views himself in that stratosphere with David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell and Melvin and um, Todd Gurley. Particularly, he keeps using Todd Gurley as that example and Le'Veon Bell as that example. Um, I think this is a deal that becomes extremely difficult to get done because I don't see him playing out the full year on his fifth year option just because there's no guarantees that he's going to get paid if he gets hurt. And odds are, based on what's been happening in his career to this point, he's probably going to miss some time. So if he gets hurt, if he misses four or five games, if he misses a good chunk of the season, if he get you know sustains a major injury, they're just going to look at him and say, hey, you can't stay healthy, we're done. And now he's screwed himself. So... I don't think he comes back in training camp. I don't think he comes back early in the regular season. I think this is going to be a very protracted issue, and I think this comes down to Melvin sitting out until week 10, coming back in week 10, playing the last six games of the season, trying to lead the team on a playoff push. Because keep in mind, if he comes back in week 10, he accrues that fifth full season and he gets paid for the season. If he sits out the whole year, he's not getting paid, and he could be accruing. Uh, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like six million dollars in fines between training camp, the preseason, and the regular season if he doesn't play at all. So I think he kind of. Ha- I think he kind of meets them in the middle, and he comes back to try to show, "Hey, I'm the straw that dr- I'm the s- straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. I'm the guy that drives this bus." I'm going to come back, I'm going to lead them to the playoffs, we're going to do a deep, make a deep playoff run without me, everybody's going to see how much better they are without me, then I'm going to go and get paid by somebody else. Because I think at that point, it's not getting done with the Chargers.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Week 10 is a, is a good benchmark to see. That, that makes a ton of sense rather than just make, make money without playing the full season, prove your point, and then you know try to get your money in the offseason rather than losing money sitting out the whole year. And
1: potentially being the hero. Yep. So I I think that's how this goes. I just I don't see any way how they're gonna get it done. I think it seems to me, just from the way things are developing and the way he's talking and how he spent the whole offseason comparing himself to Le'Veon Bell and Bell's holdout situation, I think that I think they're really far apart. He wants to be in that thirteen, fourteen million dollar range. I have a feeling they're probably closer to nine or ten. That's a pretty big gap. And I know a lot of people are saying, hey, whether you're making 9 or 14, you're still filthy, stinking rich. Get back and play. That's not how it works. This is a business. He's got to take care of himself. Uh, I don't like it, but I get it. So I I think that's how this plays
0: out. We'll talk about it, but I, I think you're right. I think he ends up coming back during the season. That makes a ton of sense. So uh, last question here at Buffalo Palifax. Can Justin Jackson be a productive back? We know what Eckler brings to the table, but can the ball carrier handle a big load to form a balanced tandem?
1: I think what you're actually looking for, and I keep going back to this, I think you're looking for a balanced trio, not a balanced tandem uh, yep. with Eckler, Jackson, and Newsom. I think if everything plays out the way we just talked about with Gordon, the Chargers will be looking to form a rotation more so than have that one bell cow back that gets, you know, 80 to 90% of the touches, they're going to be looking for those three guys to balance things out. And I think it might actually work out to where they can replace, you know, maybe 80 to 90% of the production at a fraction of the cost and still be very successful. Um, you know, Gordon is very valuable. He's been an important part of the offense. No one wants to move forward without him including the Chargers. Uh, but I do think that they have the The skill set in that backfield and the depth in that backfield to replace most of, if not all the production, still be very productive on offense, move the ball, score points, be very explosive. And the flip side of that is if you're not giving one guy the bulk of the carries, all three of those guys should be healthy through the season. They should all have much less wear and tear on their bodies and they should all be better later in the season. Because they're going to be fresh because of the rotation, and that's something they really haven't had with Gordon, who typically misses four or five games sometime late in the season. So I think that's kind of what they're going to be looking for moving forward.
0: Yeah, and it gives you the ability to kind of ride the hot hand, if you will. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you. It's going to be a trio, not so much a duo. And I'm not so sure we know what Austin Eckler brings to the table because – I. We talked about it all last year, but, you know, Wiz continued to use Eckler in his same RB2 role when he was on the field. So I'm not sure we know what Eckler can bring if they want to have him as that starting running back, but it's going to be more of a rotation with the three of them. And with Justin Jackson, I mean, I think the sample size is too small to know that he's going to be a productive starting running back with Eckler as the RB2. So, again, this is a trio, uh, much like Jamie mentioned. And a a point I was going to bring up is, you know, they're not going to be able to, when we talk about this Gordon thing in a minute, they're not going to be able to replicate what Gordon brings to the field because he is by far one of the biggest key to this offense – but they can replicate that his production with these three running backs, at least 80 90% of it with those three. So I agree with you on that point. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, let's go ahead and start talking about this Melvin Gordon contract drama.
1: So obviously, you know, last week the email went out from Adam Schefter saying that Melvin
0: Gordon was going to hold out. Uh, you got Gordon's Adam Schefter on your email list? An email from email? Schefter? Sorry, the tweet. <laughs> Hey, he's big time. Jamie's big time. I am. I'm big
1: time. I (laughs) I was on ESPN once, you know. Uh. (laughs) So the the tweet from Schefter went out last week uh, saying that Gordon was going to hold out if he didn't get a new contract. Um, There's a lot that goes into this, obviously. Uh, There's a lot of emotion that goes into this, both for the player and the team and the fans. You know, you've got fans kind of lashing out at him saying, hey, this could be our Super Bowl season. What are you doing? You're screwing it up. You're being selfish. Some people are lashing out at the team saying, hey, just pony up and pay the guy. Stop being cheap. Uh, it's easy. First of all, it's difficult to kind of to wrap our brains around somebody who's 26 years old getting ready to make $5.6 million guaranteed who is unhappy with what he's going to get paid. It, those those numbers just don't add up. It's for normal people like us, it's hard to grasp that somebody could be unhappy making $5.6 million. So The next step is since we don't really understand it, we want to lash out at somebody. We want to assign blame. I think it's really important to realize that nobody's really at fault here. I don't think, I don't know if you agree, Garrett, I don't think anybody's really doing anything wrong. No. I don't think anybody has mistreated anybody or disrespected anybody, no matter what Melvin Gordon might be saying in the media. I think Melvin is taking care of himself. He realizes he's got one year left on his deal, he's been highly productive. He is a very important part of the offense and he plays in a league that has an average career length of three years. And he plays the position with the shortest shelf life of any position in the NFL. And he has an injury history. He's played one full season in his four years in the league. So this is a guy who has one shot at a payday coming up. He's going to get a big deal somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five years from somebody more than likely. And he probably won't even play out the full length of that contract. So, he needs to make sure that he gets paid, that he gets paid for he's looking to get paid for what he's done, which isn't the way it should work in the NFL. The team wants to pay him for what they think he's going to do moving forward, and there is the disconnect. I don't think the team is doing anything wrong either, I think they're 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 um I think it's smart business for them to try to drive that cost down because you have three teams in the league that are willing to pay. You know, We'll talk about these extensions that these running backs, Johnson and Gurley and Bell, got in a few minutes. But there's three teams in the league that are willing to make those, to, to pay those kind of salaries to running backs. Um, and I don't think the Chargers should be one of them. So uh, I think the Chargers are doing the right thing. I think Gordon is doing the right thing. But that leaves us where we are at the moment where there's bad feelings between both sides. And it looks like the Chargers are going to head into what should be or what many think might be a Super Bowl season, potential Super Bowl season, without their lead back. So it's it, it gets sticky in a hurry, and I'm not sure that it's something that's going to get resolved just because of the money that Melvin's looking for. And you realize that the team has Phillip Rivers and Joey Bosa and Hunter Henry and Des King and several others they need to re-sign. Um, you know, you got to draw a line somewhere.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I think that's an important point. You know, I think, you know, everybody's lashing out at Melvin Gordon and uh, how he's being selfish and all that, but he deserves 13 to 14 million per year. I mean, he's a top five running back in the NFL. He's a key part of this Chargers offense. But, you know, if you listen to this podcast, we've mentioned many, many times that you, we just do not value paying free agent running backs. It is not wise to pay top dollar for a position that is infamously faltering after their second contract. They always end up getting hurt. The wear and tear on their body breaks down, and the running back position is a young man's game. The production can be easily replicated and replaced outside of, you know, elite players at other positions. So while Gordon deserves a contract, the Chargers just can't afford to pay him because, like you mentioned, there's more important players like Rivers and Bosa and King and maybe even Henry, you know? If the Chargers gave Gordon... You know, upward of $14 million to four to five years it would just box this team in financially, and there's more important players they're going to have to pay. So, and by important, I mean more value at the position. So, look, it's going to get ugly, and either the Chargers hold out and hope that Melvin Gordon uh, comes to his senses, if you will, or at least meets them in the middle at that week 10 deadline and comes and helps them out towards the end of that year. Or they, you know, they got to look to trade him at this point because there's just no positive end result to this. You just cannot pay him 13 to 14 million dollars a year. You cannot with everything going on in the next two years in terms of contracts. So I think it's going to get ugly and the, the chargers either are going to have to do something fast or they're going to just hold out hope that, you know, maybe Melvin Gordon does come back towards the end of the year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll trade him because I think it's going to be very difficult to get equal value back you know they're not gonna they're very unlikely to get a starting caliber offensive lineman or a starting caliber caliber player anywhere um to replace gordon then you got to make the money work um and so you're probably looking at draft picks so then you're talking about parting with your lead running back for uh, what third round pick next year so you're not even getting immediate return on it i I don't think a trade makes sense um and i don't think the team is going to budge I think they've got their number it seems to me that they're probably considerably lower than he is as they probably should be Um, I think Melvin might be overvaluing himself a little bit and that's not to say that he's not an outstanding NFL running back he is well we've been we've said for two and a half years now on the show that it's Melvin that really is the engine or the catalyst in this offense he makes it work Uh, a lot of that has to do with how they use him They've gotten smarter about how they use him and what roles they use him in and how they get him the football. Uh, it wasn't always that way, but it is now. And he is definitely deserving of a raise. He's definitely deserving of being somewhere in the top you know, five or six running backs in terms of annual pay. But that doesn't mean that the Chargers should just bend over and give him what he wants. Um, that's just not how business works. Uh, I they would have to meet in the middle, and just based on you know seeing clips of him talking about well, you know, he talking about Le'Veon Bell basically saying, hey, he gave you five or six years of his life, he gave you everything he had, and now you don't want to pay him. Just pay the man. He's the heart and soul of your team. Just pay the man. He's talking about himself there. Mm-hmm. So if he thinks he's worth thirteen or fourteen million dollars, and they think he's worth nine or ten, that's a big gap. Yeah, and uh, I don't know that they can close that gap. So I I think you know I do think he will play this year, but I think it'll be later in the year. I think it'll be out of spite. He'll be angry. He'll probably play with a chip on his shoulder and have a lot to prove in his mind. But then I think the relationship comes to an end. I I don't know how they repair it if it's gotten to the point where he feels like he's being disrespected. Um, I think this has a lot of similarities to Eric Weddle a few years ago. I know you mentioned that on Mm -hmm. Twitter last week. You know when you start talking about being disrespected. It seems to me the team might have gone to him and said, hey, we definitely want to bring you back, but we've got to figure out what's going on with Rivers. We don't know if he's coming back. If he is, we got to have the money to re-sign him. Uh, we need to keep Joey. We need to keep Dez. We want to keep Hunter. There are some other guys that are deserving of extensions or new deals in the next couple of years. Uh, we've got to make all this fit. And some of these guys, you know, we might need to take care of before we take care of you. So just be patient. And all he heard was, it's not your turn yet. So he's taking a business decision personally. I I I'm sure the Chargers love him and want to retain him and value him. Um he's taking it personally. I don't think it's personal at all. Uh but you know, that's that's part of business. Sometimes you take business personally. So I I think it's going to be a tricky situation.
0: And the Chargers do have a lot of leverage. They've got three running backs that have some really exciting traits right behind Gordon. You know, Uh, with a team that doesn't have anything really Like, look at the Lions, who just have on Johnson. If he's the one holding out, then maybe, you know, he's got more leverage. But the Chargers are pretty deep at running back. And then you start to look at that 2020 running back class in the draft, and there are some damn good names, man. That looks really, really good on paper. And... You know, we watched last year a guy like James Conner being able to get, you know, 80 to the 90 percent of Le'Veon Bell's production on the field. And, you know, we see it throughout the league, and it's, it's definitely possible. And teams aren't really paying running backs so much anymore except a given few.
1: Right. You know, people point to the Cardinals. They point to the Rams. They point to the Jets. Hey, they paid their guys. Why can't we pay our guy? Well, I mean, take a look at it. The Cardinals are a freaking disaster. (laughs) Uh, They're arguably the worst, if not one of the worst run teams in the NFL. Um, They also are in a situation where they have a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal, first year of a rookie deal. So they have more flexibility to be able to afford a a deal like that for Johnson.
0: Ding, ding, ding. Rookie deal. That's important here.
1: There's a recurring theme here, people. Uh, Todd Gurley signed his deal. Last last offseason, what do the Rams have? They have Jared Goff on his rookie deal, I think the third or fourth year of his rookie deal. So they, they have the flexibility to be able to do that. That's why they were able to pay Aaron Donald. They were able to pay Gurley. They were able to bring in all those free agents last offseason because they had Goff on a rookie deal. The Chargers do not have that. Bell, they've got Darnold on a rookie deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, the Jets have been one of the worst-run franchises in the NFL <laughs> for the last 10 years.
0: And there was a infighting between the coach and the GM about whether they even wanted to bring Le'Veon Bell in at all. Yep.
1: So There was some talk that they might trade him after they signed him. Yeah. So, you know, you can look – everybody wants to hold the Rams up as a shining example of how an NFL franchise should run because they, they were in the Super Bowl last year and they spent all this money and they went after it and it was go time and all that. But they had a specific set of circumstances that allowed them to do that. And now they're going to start scaling back because pretty soon they're going to have to figure out a way to keep golf. And they paid all these guys before they pay golf. And they're going to have to start trimming salary in the next two years. Uh, you know, Darnold, Sam Darnold, he's, he's entering the second year of his deal. They don't have to worry about anything for a while. They, they have that flexibility for at least two, if not three more years. Johnson, they just brought in, um. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, and he's on, he's, on, he's on the first year of his rookie deal. So, again, that's a big part in this. All these teams have more flexibility, more cash, because they're not paying their quarterback 27 or $30 million. Um, and the Chargers are going to have to figure out how to keep Rivers and keep Gordon. And if you got to choose between one or the other, even at his age, you're choosing the quarterback yep. over the running back, in spite of how valuable the running back is to the quarterback. That's just how the NFL works.
0: Yep. And I think, uh, just to wrap this whole thing up, I think what you said is, is good. Neither side of this is at fault. Everybody's doing the right thing and it just so happens that they're far apart and, uh, you know, it may get ugly, but nobody's wrong here. All right. Well, I think that does it for Gordon. We kind of went in depth on that thing and let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up our training camp preview. This is our last. Position groups, our last podcast, one through three, you can go back and listen to. Uh, Today we're doing DBs and special teams, and we'll go ahead and start with corners. They're currently carrying 10 of them. It is Casey Hayward, Desmond King, Michael Davis, Trevor Williams, Brandon Faison, Jeff Richards, Arian Springs, Kimon Hall, the undrafted free agent, Bradford Lemons, and Rodney Randall.
1: So I think you'd probably agree with me that the, the secondary as a whole, but particularly corners, is one of, if not the deepest position the Chargers have on their team. Uh, that and running back, maybe a couple others up there, but I would say probably corner is the deepest because uh, they have you know four guys who are basically ready to start if needed, um, and they can move guys around. They're pretty interchangeable. Um, I I think... The one of the more interesting position battles this season, this preseason, I should say, is going to be Michael Davis and Trevor Williams battling it out for that CB two spot. Davis played really, really well down the stretch last year. You know, he had some struggles early on, was getting beat deep, and they started finding better matchups for him um, against possession receivers in the middle of the field. And he was all over the place, breaking up passes. He was really good against um, uh, Michael Crabtree uh, against the Ravens in the playoffs just outstanding. So he showed a lot of growth. Williams now is healthy. He's a guy who was an outstanding tackler and was all over the football in 2017. So it'll be a lot of fun seeing how those guys kind of duke it out in uh, in training camp in the preseason and see who winds up winning that CB2 spot. Uh, Faison, obviously, is a guy who was a, a fan favorite last training camp and preseason, and he wound up making the roster. I think... Uh, Those five guys, Hayward, Williams, Davis, King, and Faison, are pretty much guaranteed to make the roster. I don't think there's a whole lot of mystery here. I think the only question is, does the team carry six corners and four safeties, or do they carry five guys at each spot? If they carry five guys at each spot, there's almost no reason to talk about the rest of the guys behind them. Um, But there is one guy who I think is really interesting. I just saw a few minutes of highlights for him, but I Kimon Hall looks like he could be kind of fun to watch. In training camp in the preseason, he's a guy who is he's listed, I think, at 5'11", 190, something like that. Uh, but he plays long. He locates the ball well. He's got great instincts. High points the ball. Has good hands, good ball skills. Had a couple touchdowns returned for – or interceptions returned for touchdowns last year and had five picks and 14 passes defense last year. So he looks like he could be fun to watch, maybe a potential stash on the practice squad. Probably won't make the roster unless they they decide to carry six DBs, and even then he'd have to battle it out with Jeff Richards, who's probably ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, so he he's a guy to watch. I think he's kind of an interesting, you know, training camp stash. Somebody they could develop. Uh, he looks like there's some potential there.
0: So Casey Hayward, obviously the starter, Des King in the slot as always, and then that CB two role between. Trevor Williams, who played really well in 17, and Michael Davis, who ended up had a, having a good year last year, like you mentioned, Michael Davis. So uh, between Davis and Williams would will be uh, one of the, one of the best training camp battles going into training camp and then also in the preseason. Brandon Faison, of course, uh, somewhat of a surprise add to the 53, but a lot of people liked him. Uh, he appeared in every game last year, but won. Uh, odds are, you know, they're definitely going to keep him and uh, watch him develop. He'll continue to make waves on special teams. Jeff Richards had a few stops with the Chargers, was added to the roster after Craig Mager went down with an injury in November. Arian Springs, he was a practice squad guy last December, a smaller corner, 5'10", 208. Uh, it was pretty quick but tested very below average as an athlete. Um, the, the guy you mentioned under the undrafted free agents, Keimon Hall, from North Texas, uh, masked some really good stats, 22 pass breakups, six interceptions, was named first-team All-Conference USA, uh, seems to be around the football a lot, tested uh, as an average athlete athletically, and uh, below six foot, which isn't quite the Gus Bradley tall corner mold, but uh, still a guy to watch for at least a practice squad. Bradford Lemons was uh, not fun, former wideout from Furman University, uh, the only thing he's got is his size, which is six three. He never even recorded an interception, and he's a really, really small school kid. Usually, those small school kids rack up stats, not not even a single interception from Lemons. But uh, Rodney Randall's, I find to be uh, somewhat interesting. He's going to be a fan favorite for sure because he ran a four two eight. So he's like the Tony Brown of last year where he's the the quick corner uh, he was the team's returner at Lamar he averaged 21 yards per return he blew up his pro day athletically uh, he was the team's best returner and gunner so uh keep an eye on Randall too could make some noise on special teams early on uh, last year the Chargers kept six corners it was Hayward King Davis Williams uh, Craig Mager's gone you got Brandon Face on uh, you know, Jeff Richards, if you can make some noise, could be that sixth corner. But you're looking at Hayward, King, Davis, Williams face on as the five corners. And I was going to mention they'll probably make it up in this next group, which is safeties. And they've got seven of them so far. It's Derwin James, the second round pick Nasir Adderley, Rayshon Jenkins, Adrian Phillips, Jalen Watkins, and the two UDFAs, Roderick Teamer and Adarius Pickett. Uh, The team starting strong safety, of course, the phenom, Derwin James, Free safety is going to be the competition between Sean Jenkins and the second-round pick Nasir Adderley, which will be fun to watch. Adrian Phillips, of course, safety depth for both spots, free safety and strong safety. But, of course, we'll probably see him as that extra DB in that big nickel again this year, and he'll make that big-time special teams contribution like he did last year that earned him that Pro Bowl nod. Uh, Jalen Watkins, he's going to serve as free safety depth. Uh, he can also play some corner two. It was also a uh, special team standout in Philadelphia, so uh, definitely a player that could uh, be that fifth safety if they wanted to keep five safeties in five corners. But also, everybody's got to get on board with the Roderick Teamer hype train. The team's been talking about him all offseason, made some major traction on the heels of training camp, had three interceptions in two days. Gus Bradley said that Teamer was grasping the system so fast that he was basically just playing on instincts which is a big compliment for even a draft pick, let alone an undrafted free agent. So uh, Teamers, a hard-hitting safety, had 197 tackles, 15 pass defense, three picks, three sacks, and two block kicks in his career. So clearly a kid that has been around the football and a special teams contributor. So uh, that's a tight group, but look for Teamer and Jalen Watkins to probably battle that out for that last safety spot. Darius Pickett. He's a sure tackling safety out of UCLA. Uh, he was part of the Chargers tryout at the rookie camp in LA. Pickett is at the bottom of the list, but, uh, you know, we'll be able to pitch into special teams in training camp, maybe a spot on the practice squad. So the Chargers carried four safeties last year. It was Derwin James, Rayshon Jenkins, Adrian Phillips, and Jalil Adai, but Adai's gone. Thank you. Uh, Bye. And swap him (laughs) out with Nasir Adderley. And then you've got a competition for that fifth spot with Jalen Watkins and the UDFA roger teamer but um just a thought i mean if um if they were to keep a guy like Jalen watkins he could play you know free safety he can also play corner you know he can also have that flexibility as a special teams contributor so slot he checks a lot of boxes there so maybe you keep a utility guy like Jalen watkins and have roger teamer as a practice squad stash uh just because he can do so much so uh this will definitely be an interesting group to watch in camp
1: yeah I think um with I think Adderley's hurt, isn't he? Didn't he miss some time during minicamp? Yep, I don't think he's back yet. So, um, you know I think you're going into camp looking at Jenkins, Adderley, and probably Watkins again competing for that starting job. Uh, Watkins was on the verge of winning it before he shredded his knee last year, uh, mm-hmm. and I think in the first or second preseason game last year. So he's a guy that they liked enough to bring back. And he's experienced, like you mentioned, he's versatile. He provides a lot of special teams value. Can play slot, corner, both safety spots. Um, I, I think, you know, going into camp, he's probably one of the favorites to win one of those five five spots. I doubt he winds up being the starter, but uh, he's probably going to wind up holding down one of those five safety spots. That's my guess. Um, he, I think, I like. I, did you watch Pickett at all? Yeah. I like Pickett. I, I I thought he was fun to watch. Granted, I was watching highlights, so I was seeing the best of him. Uh, but he showed some good ball skills, some good instincts. Really, really sure tackler, physical tackler. Yeah, uh, not a big guy, but he kind of looks and plays big on film, in my opinion. And he he's another guy who played in the slot, played free safety, played strong safety. So another versatile chip. Um, I did not get get a chance to watch Teamer, but uh, uh, you know, probably. Uh, practice squad spot coming down between him and Pickett. So it should be fun to watch that. So uh, I think, I I know everybody's kind of gearing up for uh, Nasir Adderley winning the starting free safety job. I'm not sure that's a lock um, coming out of camp. I think, I wouldn't surprise me at all if Jenkins winds up winning that role just because he's entering his third year. They invested a fourth-round pick in him. I think they're going to want to see what he can do, and I think also with Adderley having missed some time in minicamp, and who knows if he's going to miss time in training camp, it might behoove them to have somebody who's a little bit more experienced back there, but I would expect Adderley to— gain playing time and work his way into a rotation and ultimately ultimately win that job later in the season
0: yeah no totally agree uh much like we talked about with uh, jerry tillery you know maybe not the starter early on in name but as as they work into the season they'll get the majority of the snaps so uh, let's go ahead and talk about special teams here huh let's start off with long snapper big competition here jamie mike wint and cole mazza uh
1: i think really thrilling huh yeah <laughs> I'm riveted. I'm waiting. I'm
0: I'm hanging on the edge of my seat to hear your analysis of this.
1: I know. um, They're both long snappers. One's going to make the roster and one isn't. (laughs) Uh, Wint is, what, 35 or 36 years old? Seems like he's been in the league for 25 years. (laughs) Only Uh,
0: 10. Yeah, it seems like 25, but only 10. It seems a
1: lot longer than that. And he was literally the only guy they didn't try to lay the blame for the kicking game on last year. The only guy. Yeah. So... Now they bring in a younger guy, somebody who played really well in um, – what was the name of that football league that expired? AAF. The AAF. Yeah, I didn't watch a single game. Me neither. But he apparently played very well, was one of the better long snappers, and was part of a very successful special teams unit. So, And I think he's maybe played some center in college, if I'm not mistaken. So, And he's cheap. So it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they're looking ahead to life without Mike Wint, um just because – It's always better to get younger and cheaper and um they might want to share that long snapper spot up for the next five or six years and once getting kind of expensive for a guy who's been in the league for 10 years so um don't really care either way but (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't surprise me if maza snuck in there
0: yeah uh played at aaf i think he snapped to nick novak if i'm not mistaken And he played at Alabama. Uh, maybe this is a competition, but I have no clue. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Mazza went doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, so on to kicker. Uh, for kicker, there's one real name on the list. It's Michael Badgley. And, uh, he's the man, obviously. And his only competition is a punter, which is (laughs) Ty Long. So, um, there's nothing much to really talk about here.
1: Yeah. Badgley's going to win the spot. Uh, there's an outside chance that. Actually, probably a pretty good chance that if Long wins the punter spot, which we'll talk about in a minute, he will also do the place kicking, the the kickoffs. Yep. For the team.
0: Yeah. So punter, last one here. It's Ty Long and Tyler Newsom.
1: They're punters. One's gonna yep. make the team, one isn't. <laughs> uh, exactly. Newsom has a big leg. Uh from what I understand, he's erratic. He I, I watched a video of him punt, I don't know, six or seven balls. At a combine and every kick was fifty plus yards and had between five and five and a half seconds of hang time. So you watched punter tape? Not tape really. (laughs) It was like a minute and a half of punts. (laughs) That's all I could handle. (laughs) Uh I did not watch Tyler Long, but he had a big leg. I think he averaged like forty eight yards a kick last year, and he has some experience with kickoffs and PATs and field goals, so the versatility might get him on the roster who the hell knows what these guys are going to look like once they're, they've they got NFL players bearing down on them. So I guess we'll find out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Ty Long was a former CFL kicker. He kicked both field goals and punted. He averaged 48.3 yards per attempt throughout his career on 236 punting attempts. That would have been second best in the NFL among punting average in the NFL in 2018. So, uh, that's, that seems pretty good to me, uh, as a kicker, he had a long of 52 as a field goal kicker. And, uh, Tyler Newsom broke some punting records in Notre Dame, including a career punting average of 44 yards. I think we all want Ty Long to win the job because he can punt. He can kick field goals. He's got the higher career punting average. And, you know, if Badgerley ever gets shaken up, you got Ty Long to step up right in there. It's a perfect fit. Let's hope it all works out. And uh, Ty Long can also take over kickoffs, which was an issue last year. So it all should hopefully work itself out. Just, you know, hoping that Ty Long wins it. I mean, if Newsom is that guy and he's better, who cares? But, you know, the fact that Ty Long can kick extra points and kick field goals and do kickoffs seems like the guy that should win the job, hopefully.
1: The one thing I will say is Newsom is huge. I don't know if you've seen him or not, but no. I think he did I think he did like 20 reps at 225 pounds of the combine. He well, is ripped for a punter. Oh, good. For whatever that's worth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note… We're done, man. uh that's it for our training camp previews. uh we'll get on here and record some more podcasts coming soon, but also, we've got a date for training camp. Jamie and I are gonna go together,
1: yeah, we're gonna be up there on August first, which is a Thursday. It's a morning practice, so we will be there. come out, watch practice with us, chat with us, tell us you love us, tell us you hate us, whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a good chance to tell us how much you don't like us. We'll be in the stand, so just come and see us uh. I am at Garrison on Twitter, Jamie. At lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody.